0: year old Billy once came home from school and approached his, his mother in the afternoon and, and said, Mom, where did I come from? Well, his mother knew that this question was coming at some point, but she wasn't necessarily prepared for the answer, but uh she she knew that she needed to uh give her son uh, uh the answers about the uh the birds and the bees and and whatever else she needed to, and so she for the next about half hour stumbled through an explanation uh telling him uh uh where he came from. When she finally wound things up, she said, "Billy, does that answer your question?" and he said, "Well, kind of." I mean, today on the bus, Tommy said that he'd moved here from Buffalo, and I wanted to know where I came from. Questions are important in life, we learn a lot. From questions, sometimes we need to clarify a little bit, or maybe somebody asks a question, we need to ask a question back to figure out what they're actually asking. But if you don't ask, ask questions, then you're, uh, you're not curious about things, then you won't get new insights. I, I think kids instinctively seem to know this. They're always asking questions, always wanting to know more, always looking to, to find out more information. As we get older, though, I think sometimes we stop uh, asking as many questions. And I I think for those of us who have been in church or around church world for a while, uh, it's easy to stop asking questions about God and faith and Christianity and theology. I mean, maybe we've gotten the basics or we think we've gotten the basics or, or we don't, uh, don't necessarily think we need to go any deeper or any further or we don't ask because we think everyone else knows the answers and, and we don't want them to know that we don't know or we're not quite sure or we don't. And so we don't ask questions but but I want to say uh today don't be afraid to ask questions be a lifelong learner it's one of the reasons why we started this uh this series here frequently asked questions to drill down on some of the questions that people might have floating around in in our minds maybe uh maybe you have some of these questions maybe the people that uh, talk to you might have some of these questions some of these things are, are are reasons that people have for not coming to faith they're asking these questions they're wondering about this they're not real sure and so they don't take the step toward uh, toward faith. And so uh, we need to instead of ignoring these questions, we need to cover them and and uh, try to drill down on what uh, what what some answers might be. So last week we looked deeply into the issues of of pain and suffering and why we have to deal with all of that in this world. If you missed it, uh, you can always go to the uh, the listen page on the church website and get caught up as we went over last week, I will be doing my best to answer these questions, not just off the top of my head, uh, not just off of what I've seen in culture, but uh, primarily uh, based on a Christian biblical worldview. And so we took a few minutes uh, last week to kind of go over that. And so rather than writing them all out where you can't read them, maybe uh, you can read this a little bit better and we'll just kind of summarize it today. So the first is, what, what is, again, it's not Christian West Virginia, everybody knows West West Virginia's, no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, no, uh, it, it. Christian worldview, a worldview, how we see the world, how we operate, what are the the things that, that we're assuming in the back of our minds. And, and so uh, a Christian worldview is God-centered. Uh, God created everything, in, including humanity. Uh, he created us for a relationship with Him, and He desires that relationship. However, a sin entered the world, and because of sin, also pain and suffering. And so Adam and Eve sinned, and every person after them has inherited their sin, original sin. We're born with that sin, and pain, suffering... We could add the word death here, and uh, so we need to be saved from the consequences of that sin. We need a Savior. God knew that, and so He sent His Son, Jesus, to be our Savior to save us from sin. And so, not only do we, uh, when we uh, respond to Jesus as our Savior, we enter into a relationship with God. Uh, also, we're living for heaven. It's an eternal existence uh, where we're we're living for heaven, not just not just this life. This life is just temporary. Heaven is our home. Our purpose, then, is to be holy, to allow God to continue to make us more and more holy. Uh, and so as we have questions, our Father, God, is the one that answers those questions. So it's a God life centered on God with God's rules. And we said that's the Christian worldview. Again, uh, 90 seconds in a nutshell. There's so many uh, things in there that that, uh, that that we could could spend more and more time on. But this is kind of the the nutshell of where we're going to be uh, looking at looking for answers. Obviously, not everyone follows that. And so the other extreme would be a non-Christian worldview. And uh, and so that extreme. It's me-centered. It's not God-centered. It's human-centered. Everything revolves around us, and so there's no creation, and 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 there's no sin, morality, I can do whatever I want because it's centered on me. And so there's no need for Jesus because we don't need a Savior because there there's no problem of sin, so there's nothing to be saved from. And so it's not that we're living for heaven sometime, somewhere, but earth is our home. And our purpose is to be happy, to live a good life, and and to be happy in this life, and to to feel fulfilled here and now. And so, when we have questions, how we feel kind of answers those questions, right? I, I'm I'm gonna I want to uh, uh, how how does it make me feel? What do I think? What do I feel like doing? And, and so that answers our questions. And so it's my life and my rules. Two extremes, Christian worldview. Non-Christian worldview. We all live by some worldview. Maybe you've never outlined what your worldview is, but it's the lens through which we see the world. And it affects how we live. It affects the decisions that we make. But usually we're, we're, we're not all on this extreme. And usually we're not all on this extreme, but usually it's somewhere in the middle, uh, somewhere in the in between, I guess, what I, what I described last week as smorgasbord Christianity. Again, a smorgasbord is that buffet restaurant uh, that uh, where you can pick and choose what you want and fill your plate with as much of whatever what all your favorites are and skip over all the things that you don't necessarily like. So that might look like, well, yeah, I I I think God is great and I'm glad that He loves me, but I don't necessarily want Him to hold me accountable for sin. So that's kind of a mashup in between, right? I I, want to go to heaven, but, but this life is, is kind of okay too. I mean, I, I want, I I want God in my life so that he can bless me and make me happy. We could, we could go on, but a lot of times we live in this in between, this smorgasbord, uh, Christianity, smorgasbord spirituality where we can pick and choose and, and, and we're in charge of what's right or what's good. And it gets confusing then when we have questions because uh, what do we go to God for the answers? Do we, is it just how we feel? Do we wait until we feel it before we agree with God? It's, it's kind of all up in the air and so we get confused. So, so I will be doing my best through this series to bring us back to this side of the, the pendulum swing, so to speak, to, to address things from a Christian worldview. And today we're asking the question, don't all religions lead to the same God? See, there's light, light questions nobody's really asking, right? Just little surfacy. You've heard this before. You, you, you've probably heard the, uh, the, the, the ancient Hindu, Hindu story about six blind men who were placed near an elephant and they were asked to describe the animal. And the first man had been positioned right by the elephant's side, and so he said, well, an elephant is like a wall. That was his experience. The second man had touched the elephant's tusk, and so he described an elephant like a spear, an elephant's like a spear. The third man was was placed right in front of the elephant, and he had, had experienced the trunk, and so he described the elephant like a snake. And the fourth man had wrapped his arms around one of the elephant's huge legs, And so he described the elephant as a tree. The fifth man stood right next to an ear. He thought that an elephant was a lot like a fan. And the sixth man had grabbed the animal's tail. And so he said, well, an elephant is like a rope. Kind of a smelly rope, probably. The point of the story, according to Hindu tradition, is that each man is correct so long as he is touching the elephant. They describe their experiences differently but they're still correct because they're connected to or touching the elephant. And so the inference then is that we experience or come to God in different ways with different traditions or rituals or thoughts, but the important thing is that we're still coming to God. All religions lead to the same God just by different paths. And on the surface, that sounds really great. Obviously, there is something ingrained within us as humans that is drawn to worship someone or something. I believe that's because God created us for a relationship with Him. And so we are drawn to worship. So virtually every uh, society, every civilization has, has always had this draw toward spiritual things, this draw toward worship of something or someone outside of themselves. We're created to worship. So, so are all these different religions of the world just varying expressions of, of worshiping this God? Of course, we, we don't have time to go in depth with all of the belief systems of all of the real religions of the world this morning. There are estimates that there are over 4,000 different religions uh, in the world to date right now. Uh, we're not going to go through those one by one today, I promise. I promise. But there are still some basic truths that we can look at regarding this question. Some would say that that uh, that it's okay uh, as long as you're sincere in what you believe. So let's let's go down that path for a few minutes. People are so you're sincere and you're heartfelt in what you believe. You good for you. That's great. And so that infers that I can believe whatever I want as long as I sincerely believe it, right? I have to ask, well, does sincerity matter if you're wrong? (laughs) You might remember back in February, Kyrie Irving of the Cavs revealed his belief that the earth is flat and not round. Do you remember that, anybody? Yeah? If not, look it up. It's all over the place. He's continuing to stand up for, for his right to believe that and basically saying that scientists lie to us about all sorts of things. And so I guess it's some conspiracy or something that the earth is flat and not round. So a renowned scientist, Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, responded about Kyrie's views. Uh, he responded in an interview with TMZ. And, and, and so Tyson said, let me be blunt. We live in a free country, so you ought to be able to think and say whatever you want. If he wants to think that earth is flat, go right ahead as long as he continues to play basketball and not become the head of any space agencies, he said. Why would Neil deGrasse Tyson say that? Because although Kyrie is very sincere in his beliefs, that sincerity doesn't change reality. The truth is truth whether Kyrie Irving believes it or not. So just because I sincerely believe something doesn't make it true even in issues of religion. In 1962, there was a Gallup poll uh, asking people uh, about their belief in that there is an absolute truth. Do you believe that there are truths that are true for all people, for all times, for all places? Are there certain things that are just true, and that's just what they are, they're just true? Uh, in 1962, Gallup poll, 84% uh, of Americans agreed that Absolute truth exists today. Twenty-six percent of Americans believe that absolute truth exists. We want to be able to let everyone have their own viewpoint, right? And but can't, everybody can't be right. And in, even in saying that, we're saying that there is a right somewhere. That there, there is, there is a right and a wrong, and uh, and and. If we're not saying that, and everyone can just believe whatever they want, then there is no right or wrong, and we're we're in that majority of Americans who don't believe in absolute truth. Christianity claims that there is one God who exists in three persons: God: the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. Muslims and Jews disagree with that; they believe that God is indivisibly one. Hinduism claims that everything is God: your God, I'm God, my dog could be God. Uh, I don't have a dog. I guess he can't be God. She. She's long gone. Maybe she's flying with the angels. Anyway. Islam claims that Jesus was not God and that he did not die for the sins of humanity. Buddha. There's good evidence that Buddha didn't necessarily even believe in God. Here's, Here's the thing. We could all be wrong, but we can't all be right. There are too many contradictions in religions... For us to say that we all go, we are all worshiping the same God. And going back to our Christian worldview then, we can look through the lens of the Bible. What does, what does the Bible say regarding these issues of religion, of accessing heaven, uh, of worship, prayer, God, all the rest? Does it say that there is one God and many roads to get to Him? Actually, the Bible says it's the opposite. Matthew seven thirteen and 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Later in, in John, Jesus said that that narrow gate was actually himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus did not allow for multiple paths to God, only one way. But in our culture today, we like options, we like to customize, we like to pick and choose, we like smorgasbord spirituality where we can answer questions based on what feels good, what we prefer, not necessarily how our Father in Heaven would answer those questions. We're, we're, we're used to, to there being many ways to accomplish things, getting, uh, many ways of getting where we're going. And it sounds exclusive and elite and even rude that God would demand that we follow just one way, right? That's, come on. Why, why would God make us follow just one way? And I guess I would agree that it would be exclusive if there were actually other ways to get to God. But there aren't. Jesus said, I am the way, not to be narrow-minded or snooty or anything else. Jesus said, I am the way simply because it's true for all times, for all people, for all places. Actually it seems to me that, that 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 other religions of the world are much more exclusive than Christianity. One big dis- distinction is that every other religion except Christianity is based on people doing things in order to earn the favor of their god, of their deity. And so if I do all of these right things then then I'll earn favor. People might need to use a t- Tibetan prayer wheel or go on pilgrimage or give alms to the poor or avoid eating certain foods or, or doing a number of good works or pray in a specified way at specified times or go through a series of reincarnations. Uh, the list is endless. Those, those are, are, are their attempts to reach out to God. Christianity says that God has already reached out to us in Jesus. Author Philip Yancey addressed that in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace? And he tells a story about a British conference. He says, during a British, British conference on comparative religions, experts from around the world debated what, if any, belief was unique to the Christian faith. They began eliminating possibilities. Incarnation, well, other religions had different versions of God's appearing in human form. Resurrection, again, other religions, some other religions had accounts of uh, return from death. The debate went on for some time until C.S. Lewis wandered in the room and said, what's the rumpus about? And heard in reply that his colleagues were discussing Christianity's unique contribution among world religions. And Lewis responded, oh, that's easy, It's grace. After some discussion, Yancey goes on, after some discussion, the conferees had to agree. The notion of God's love coming to us free of charge, no strings attached, seems to go against every instinct of humanity. The Buddhist eightfold path, the Hindu doctrine of karma, the Jewish covenant, and the Muslim code of law, each of these offers a way to earn approval. Only Christianity dares to make God's love unconditional. Let's look at it this way. Suppose that there are two, uh, organizations, uh, let's, let's say country clubs, two different country clubs, uh, and the first one only admits people who have earned membership. To get in, you have to pay a membership fee, uh, you have to fulfill certain requirements, maybe you have to be in a certain income bracket, maybe you have to live in a certain location in order to qualify to even apply to be a part of that country club. And so despite their best efforts, there are lots of people who will not ever make the cut, will not ever be able to be let in into the club uh just because they don't have the money or they can't fulfill the requirements that are that that are held up so that people can can join that club. But let's say there's another country club that uh, that, that says that anybody who wants to can come in. The membership fee has been paid already by a generous benefactor, regardless of race or gender or social status or pedigree or nationality or where you live or IQ or anything else. Anyone and everyone is welcome to join. Entry is not based on qualifications, but simply by accepting the offer to join. So which of those two country clubs would we describe as exclusive? The first one. There's a whole lot of exclusion going on. The, the second country club is open to everyone. Anyone and everyone is welcome. Obviously, that's, that represents Christianity. Scripture says that, that, that we've all sinned, so we're all in the same situation. But God's gift to us is eternal life in Jesus. It says that God so loved the world that he sent Jesus so that we all we have to do is believe on him and will receive eternal life. There's a specific path to follow, of course, but everyone is invited to follow that path. It's the most radically inclusive thing I think I've ever heard. The only reason that Jesus says that he is the way is because he is. <laughs> Acts 4.12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. It's not exclusive. It's just that nothing else will get you there. <laughs> Jesus is the way. A couple other questions, I think, fall under this topic that I wanted to bring up. What about people who have never heard about Jesus? So if Jesus is the only way... What about people maybe in a remote village somewhere off in the jungle? Some, we, we bring these things up. Maybe they've been raised in a, a, in a, a home that's, that practices one of these other religions. What about those people? Doesn't God care about those people? Or will he just wipe them out without ever giving them a chance? It's a great question. I'm glad you asked. Thanks. First off, uh, let's, let's agree that God cares deeply. For each and every soul who has ever lived. God so loved the world. Completely inclusive. God so loved the world. Uh, Everyone, everywhere. Jesus came for everyone, not just for a few select people. And God is pursuing us. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Uh, Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. God wants everyone to come to a saving knowledge of him. It's his deepest desire that we would all, every single person, no matter where we live, no matter when we live, God's deep desire is that we would all respond to his gift of grace in Jesus. He says that the gospel will be preached everywhere, all nations, the corners of the world, the ends of the earth. So we know that God is, that God does care about each and every person. So how, it appears from scripture that, that, that we have many opportunities to hear about Jesus, perhaps more than what we're thinking. And we, we might come up with these questions and say, well, what about this and what about that? Well, God is continuing to move and work a lot of times in ways we know nothing about. Romans 1.20 says that creation speaks of God. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Creation is a huge, huge piece of the puzzle. And we experience God as we experience His creation. And God says that He speaks and moves even through the, His creation. Our conscience speaks and and draws us to God and to the truth. Romans 2:15 says they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times defending them. So we we're born with with a with a conscience that uh, that guides us as, as God pursues us and guides us toward Him, there's conviction of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is moving and working in this world and 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 pursuing us uh, in ways that, that that we sometimes don't even know anything about. John 16 uh, verses 13 and 14. When He, the Spirit of Truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will speak. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. The Holy Spirit is moving and working sometimes, uh, many times in places and situations where we don't have any idea that he's moving and working. There's also conversations going on. Uh, Romans ten thirteen to 15, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the na- name of the one they have not believed in and how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard and how can they hear without someone preaching to them and how can anyone preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. There are folks all over the globe having conversations, drawing people to God. God calls each one of us. We are some of those same people i don 't understand all of it, and we could probably debate it for some time, but Scripture uh, seems to guide us in the way that we can trust God because He is reach, literally desires in the depth of his being that everyone come to repentance, come to faith in Jesus, and He is pursuing each and every person, and, and we can 't quite under we see a, a few glimpses of, of some of the ways that he works, no matter what we can trust God to do the right thing with souls and to not judge them based on something they have not known or have not heard. There's another question that that also fits in here, and and I I think it's an important one too, that I think we, we push back on a lot, especially these days. Should I try to convert someone to my beliefs? So I believe in this. But you believe in that. Should I try to convince you or should I just say, you believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and we'll both, both head down the road? I mean, that's, that's a pretty taboo thing these days, right? I, I can believe what I want, but I shouldn't try to change you and try to make you believe, uh, what, uh, what, 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 what I believe. I mean, people might get offended, right? I guess I think about it this way a lot. Uh, so, suppose that I have the cure for a specific kind of cancer, and I know what that is, and I've I, it, it works. Um, I've experienced it. Uh, let's say that I had that kind of cancer, and and I've now been cured of it, and uh, and and many others that I know uh, have been cured of it. And it's it's this it's this uh, cure that's uh, that's an amazing thing, and it works every time. And then you meet someone that has the, that same kind of cancer. Would you be afraid to share with them the cure that you've already received because you might offend them that they might not want to be healed of that? Of course, you'd share it in a heartbeat. If you've experienced the truth about God, if you've experienced Jesus, if you've experienced what it means to have a relationship with God, that he has saved your soul, that you have the peace that passes all understanding, guarding your heart and your mind, that you have this relationship with God that we walks through the high points and the low points and, and he has transformed your life. If that's you and you have experienced that, uh, you know that it works, right? You're a happy customer, right? We shouldn't put it in those terms, but I just did, I'm sorry. There's this drive, there's this desire to share it with anyone and everyone who might also benefit, which is anyone and everyone. You're not forcing anything on anyone. You've simply found the truth, and because you care about other people, you want them to know that truth too. Well, how do we do that? We... We just, it's just a hard thing to do a lot of times, especially in our, in our culture today where everyone wants to kind of believe what they want to believe and all that. But if we really believe that this is the truth and that the other religions of the world lead to other places or, or not even religions, anyone who's, maybe they don't believe in any religion at all. But if we believe this is the truth, then it's got to be part of who we are to share what we believe is the truth with anyone and everyone who will listen. Well, how do we do that? Uh, First Peter explains it. Again, we could spend hours talking about the ins and outs of this, but 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So how do we, how do we do this? Well, how do we share the good news of Jesus with anyone and everyone? The first thing is we need to get right with God. In your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord, he says, right? Uh, uh, revere Christ as Lord in your hearts. You've got to settle the question first in your own heart. Uh, you, you won't be very good at convincing anyone else if you're not convinced. A salesperson has to believe in, in the, uh, in, in the, the product. Uh, themselves, if, if they're ever going to be effective in, in, in selling that to anyone else. Well, we're not selling the gospel, but we've got to realize that we are right with God first. We can't just go out and, uh, and, and try to bring others into the kingdom of God without first making sure that we personally have set apart Christ as Lord in our own hearts. And then we look for opportunities. It says, always be prepared to give an answer. There are always opportunities. I think we're just not always looking. So we pray for the opportunities and we pray for specific people and, and we wait for the right time and we step in when, when we feel that nudge of God to, to, to mention something. We look for those opportunities. And then what do we do when the opportunity presents itself? Well, we share our experience. It says, give the reason for the hope that you have. You might not have all the theological arguments. You you might not have all the points and all the all the uh, the, the 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 stuff that goes into it. You might not be able to answer all the questions. Uh, This says we don't have to do, all those things are important and we need to be studying and and learning more and more all the time. But but this says, tell people about your personal experience. Share your story. Why do you have hope? Why do you believe this is true? Uh, What has happened in your life? Where were you? How did you experience God? And how has that changed you? Uh, Share your experience. Give the reason for the hope that you have. The fourth one says, well, watch how you do it. Watch your attitude. This isn't, I am better than you, and so I'm going to talk down to you, and you need to, to to come up to me. It says, do this with gentleness and respect. Your attitude goes a long way. Conversion is not coercion. I know there's some uh, some weird uh, uh, phrasing there, but conversion is not coercion. Coercion. I'm not coercing someone into the kingdom of God. I'm simply loving them enough to share the truth with them. The con- their conversion, uh, the convincing isn't even our job. The Holy Spirit does that. We just have the conversation. So, no, there are not many ways to get to God. There's just one. His name is Jesus, and everyone and anyone can know him and experience salvation. It's not that we're putting anyone else down if they don't believe that we're simply looking at the facts and not everyone can be right. There are too many contradictions between religions because of that, part of our responsibility then, if we know the truth of Jesus that as as Pastor Diana shared earlier that 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 at the end of time, when it all comes down to it at the end of time, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God if that's how it's all if that's where we're heading, if that's true then we have the, the joy and the responsibility to share that with anyone and everyone who will listen. It's not an issue of judging others or thinking that anyone's less than anything else. It's simply the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It's the way that we can experience a relationship with God. It's the way that we can experience heaven as our home for all eternity. And so whenever we have the opportunity, we want to share with others the hope that we have. Please stand with me. Father God, what a, what a joy it is to know that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus. Lord, just a couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Jesus' death and resurrection the extent to which you went, the extent to which you showed your love for us through your ultimate sacrifice. Lord, I pray that you would put a deep love for other people on our hearts, that that love would care about them, whether they're in the Middle East or halfway around the world or in our own backyard, that we would deeply desire their well-being, that we would deeply desire your good in their lives, that that we would see the opportunities that you have for us to proclaim the hope that we have. Lord, I pray for those who may even be here today who are still contemplating these things, still wondering, what does it mean to follow Jesus? How How can I be sure? Lord, I pray that your spirit would do your work in our hearts today. That, that you can, as, as you have promised, that your Holy Spirit, one of the jobs that he does is to convince us. Lord, I pray that as we continue to ask questions, <laughs> that you will bring the people and the situations and the circumstances and your word to bear in our lives to find your answers to our questions, to, to bring clarity and peace to our hearts. Lord, I pray that you would guide us this week, that we would see you moving and working, that we'll see the opportunities that you bring before us to share your great love with this world. In Jesus' name we pray.